2: Say it and do a little shimmy, as you say it.
1: Chateau-briand. Like, chateau Shoulder. <laughs> no, exactly. Chateaubriand. Just a little shoulder. <laughs> a little shoulder. A little, 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 little shoulder. A little
2: ankle. <laughs> little <All> right, <laughs> Oh, gosh. Hi. Welcome back to She Builds podcast where we share stories about women in the design and construction field, one lady at a time. This season, we're discussing critics, theorists, educators, and all things academia. Today, we're going to finish our story about Lena Bobardi, modern architecture star architect and one of the first practicing women architects to publish architecture theory. I'm Nergeri Rivas, upset at my dog because she chewed through our trim, in Houston, Texas.
1: Oh, poor Athena. I'm. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay, poor Narduzzi. Nor- <laughs> <laughs> sorry. I'm Jessica Rogers, trying to figure out how to have a productive conversation with ill-informed, unvaccinated people based out of Washington, D.C.
0: I'm Lizzie Rar, wishing I had air conditioning in San
1: Francisco. Ouch. Okay. So, quick disclaimer. The three of us are not historians, nor are we experts on this subject. We are just sharing stories about the information we find. So if we get our facts a little mixed up, please forgive us and send us a comment, and we will all continue learning. So
2: last week, I began telling you guys about Lena Bobardi, but I just wanted to share a lot of information and decided to split it up into two episodes.
1: Yes. So listeners, if you haven't heard episode 37 yet, Pause this episode and go listen to that one so you can learn about Lena's formative years and everything that influenced what we are going to talk about today.
0: We should also
2: maybe do a quick recap. That's a good idea. Okay, well, last week on Shibo's podcast, Lena was born in Rome in 1914. Her father was an engineer and a painter and taught her from an early age about analytical thinking and drawing. She graduated in 1939 from the College of Architecture at Universita La Sapienza di Roma and left to begin her architectural career in Milan.
1: Yes. So after that, she worked for famous sexist architect Gio Ponti, who didn't pay her much. Hmm. (laughs) So because of that, Lena worked on her side hustles. She worked for Domus Magazine and as a journalist for other big newspapers. At 28 years old, she and her buddy Carlo Pagani started the firm Studio Pagani Bo. But World War II was going on and it was hard for them to get work. So Lina focused more on working as a journalist by creating her own magazine called A ah! with Bruno Zevi. And at the same time, between 1944 and 1945, she continued her work for Domus magazine as the deputy director. And then through all these different creative outlets, she was able to test and grow her theories on architecture.
0: Around that same time, Assis Chateaubriand who some call the Citizen Kane of Brazil, asked Pietro to start a museum there and for Lina to design it. Lina and Pietro said yes. The museum would be called the Sao Paulo Museum of Art, or MASP. And its first home was a few floors at the headquarters of the newspaper Diarios Associados, which Assis owned while they searched for a site to build the new museum.
2: Lena missed the magazine Life, and in 1948, she started Habitat, a review for architecture and art in Brazil. Through Habitat, she continued to expand her architecture theories and to study architecture, art, design, and culture concepts in Brazil. And there was nothing else quite like it at the time, focused on architecture and intertwining all forms of art design, including things you wouldn't necessarily think of, like dance and fashion Lena was breaking new ground.
1: Yes. So even though Lena had a lot of fires burning and the design for the MASP was still going on, nothing had actually got built until 1951 when she completed her own home, the Glass House. It was a space where she tested ideas regarding spatial experience, private versus public, materiality, integration of the built environment with nature, stuff like that.
0: Yes, and that was a very important project for her. It brought Lena more exposure and more work. And now we're all caught up, and I'm ready to hear about what she
2: did next. Bacana, let's continue. So, like many of the ladies we've talked about thus far, Lena was involved in academia. She taught architecture theory at the University of Sao Paulo from 1955 to 1957. Quite fitting for the season. Mhm. Seem sí. Then, like professors do, she applied for tenure. To do this, she submitted an essay that was later turned into her theory book. It was called Propedeutic Contribution to the Teaching of Architecture
1: Theory. (laughs) That is a mouthful, if I've ever heard one. Did you even know what Propedeutic meant before you saw that title? Heck no! I had to look that shit up! (laughs) 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 And now
2: I know what it means. It means serving as a preliminary instruction or as an introduction to further study. So there you go. Lena teaching us some SAT
1: words. Obrigada.
2: So, yeah, this theory book is interesting because it's very critical of theory itself in general or more so what was theory and how it was taught. She disapproved of teaching a theory of styles or of theory versus practice. To her, theory and practice were one. And she was critical of functionalism and the modern movement. She argued more for a romantic way of thinking. She explained modernists like to put everything in a box, while romantics thought about architecture in a cosmic sense. I think this means that she thought about things more holistically in a way.
1: Cosmic is such an interesting word choice. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I can understand what she means in that sense that, yeah, she was probably thinking about it holistically in the cosmic sense. In quotation marks, I think she means when you think about like the user in the space, how they utilize it, the impacts of the surrounding areas and how that can affect the design of the space. I think good design, I will claim, that is when all of those things can work in a delightful, synergistic way.
2: Yeah. To that point, she opposed her colleague Bruno Sevi's thoughts on interior space. As described by historian Vanessa Grossman, Lena argued for the term total space, one that participates in human life and humans as actors in the space of the world. I... Totally agree with that. I think that sometimes architects,
0: we want to control users' movements, but I think that architecture really functions best when it leaves opportunities for the user to make changes or use the space how they want to. And so a space that is multifunctional, so to speak, versus just functional I think mm. I agree with Lena about modernism. I often found that the designs were very rigid and not necessarily functional. I know that the whole thing was form follows function, and I like that as a <laughs> theoretical term. But to me, the modernist movement and functionalism—I don't know—they to me they weren't the same things. I mean, there are definitely examples of it working, like I would say the Schroeder House that we talked about um, in season two comes to mind. But I can also think of a lot of examples where the houses weren't functional.
2: Well, back to Lena. Unfortunately, it was an uphill battle for her to get tenure. And she had a couple of things against her, really. Her gender, her nationality, and some faculty found her difficult, Mm. which I really don't know if that translates to she's a woman. Mm. But anyway, (laughs) Still, Lena went for it. You got to love her for that. Mm-hmm. Unsurprisingly, she
1: did not get tenure. So she left. Boo. Did they not know who she was? Uh, que tristeza.
2: Hello. <laughs> Seriously, <laughs> their loss. A year later, she designed a house for her friend and neighbor, Valeria Sirel. Listeners, please check out our show notes to look at this house. When you first see it, it's kind of (laughs) ugly, but (laughs) if you study it and try to understand what Lena was trying to do, you will look at it in a different light. I won't force an auditory tour of this one like I did last week, so (laughs) I'll let you discover it on your own. So look at pictures. (laughs) (laughs) Now I'm intrigued
0: to see if I think it's ugly and then if I change my mind.
1: (laughs) Yeah, me
2: too. I have to check this out okay so we'll talk about it on the recap sure. okay yes oh <laughs> well, I gotta okay. do my homework now yeah Yeah.
1: well if it's ugly I gotta check it out <laughs> <laughs> it's like because a, it's ugly yeah because it's like a train wreck you know like I only want to see the bad that. and the, the good and the bad uh, nothing in between this season
2: like we're checking out ugly houses architecture's <laughs> antisocial <laughs> <laughs> It's a lot happening
1: season 4 what's up <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, moving on. In 1958, she was invited to found and direct the Modern Art Museum in Salvador de Bahia. That's about 28 hours in a car today. So I can't imagine back then. Needless to say, she moved there. The commute was not worth it.
0: <laughs> Dang. Yeah, that is not a sustainable commute. <laughs> <laughs> I sometimes forget how freaking huge Brazil is. It <laughs> actually reminds me of when Nergidi and I were in Buenos Aires and we thought that we could road trip to Iguazu Falls at the Brazilian border. <laughs> it's 16 hours, y'all. It did not make the
1: itinerary. No. <laughs> Nergidi, wishful thinking but also this reminds me of season one lady julian morgan what she didn't do remember julia commuted to go to her like before tiger king tiger king house that she was building yeah (laughs) and lena was like nah uh -uh, i'm just gonna live here she's not not about that life that's the right move (laughs) okay
2: Sorry. (laughs) Sing it, girl. Sing it. Play us. They're going to play. And Lena, she's going to (laughs) teach. She taught the theory and philosophy of architecture at the Federal University of Bahia.
1: Oh, man. Can you imagine having her as a professor?
2: Super intense. (laughs) But you would learn a lot, also. (laughs) For real. In my research, I came across what she wrote as an intro to the course. Actually, let me share my favorite quote from that. We do not understand history as a crystallization of history, history from the manuals or the mouths of the professors, but history in the now, the history of the labor and toil of the people. Hmm. The word
0: crystallization makes me think that she's saying history is not set in stone and constantly
1: changing yeah okay so there are levels to this yes to what you tell us so many the cosmos okay (laughs) so break it down break it down okay so yes to what you're saying lizzie and then in the second part of history is in the now so in order to see what is happening today we are acknowledging and witnessing the consequences of the history that we are making is, does that make sense? Yeah, that it's, is trippy. It's trippy. It's trippy. Yeah,
2: <laughs> And I think that's why she wanted to leave Rome, honestly, because it was a lot of ruins and antiquity. And while she was very much appreciative of all of that, there was much more to history out there in the world that she wanted to learn from.
1: Ooh, no, G. that's such a good point. Uh Milan was very much in the now versus Rome, which was in the past. And you know what? From our time in Florence, I remember I really liked Milan because it was just so very like cosmopolitan compared to the other cities, you know?
2: Mm-hmm. Well, Ballas the Gombo <laughs> and Lina's gonna write. <laughs> Album coming out, season two. <laughs> I was
1: gonna say <laughs>
0: Or about to drop her single. Right. Lena's gonna do what Lena's gonna do.
2: do. (laughs) (laughs) Don't make me pee. (laughs) (laughs) She started a weekly page in the newspaper Diario Noticias in Salvador, where she highlighted local art and artists. If there's one thing that Lena's going to do, she's gonna write. Was she still writing for her own magazine as well, though? Well, it existed, but she wasn't as involved because it was 28 hours away in <laughs> Sao Paulo. <laughs> and she was not about the Julia Morgan life, you know? <laughs> I suppose that's a fair reason. <laughs> you think? <laughs> her time in Salvador came to an end in 1964 because of the military coup. She went back to Sao Paulo. When asked about this crazy political time in her life, she said, and I quote, I've suffered persecution here in Brazil, but I've never been in prison because I'm like an insect. (laughs) When I want to, I hide underground. (laughs) I know how to disappear. I'm a past master at such things. Oh, okay, Lena.
0: (laughs) She's scrappy. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I uh,
1: I'm not sure I would go with the insect analogy, but I like the idea of like you think you got her, but she'll come back like a bug, <laughs> like you can't kill her like a cockroach. <laughs> I mean, I I mean yes, but I did, I decided not to use those words. But you said it, so it's out there.
2: <laughs> Fast forward to 1968, and like. 20 years since I started talking about it, but the Sao Paulo Museum of Art, or MAS, finally finished construction. So, yay! yeah, <laughs> Parabéns. Muito bem. Jessica, how about you tell us more about this project since you studied it with me?
1: All right, let's get into it. Okay, so this museum was like nothing the world had ever seen before. Let's start with the facade. It was all glass. Direct sunlight is not the best for a lot of works of art. I mean, think about it. Have you ever seen a museum with windows inside the actual exhibition space? The Mona Lisa Mm -mm. next to a window? Nope. Mm. But (laughs) this also goes to show how Lena revolutionized the standard museum typology.
2: Ojebelgi.
1: So... Lena ends up placing the works of art from off of the walls and places them inside glass frames in the middle of the space in the museum where people could walk in front, behind, all around the pieces. Totally different from a traditional museum where the interaction of the people and the art also became the art.
2: I get goosebumps just imagining this. I wish I could have been there. I love how she totally represented her ideas about bringing art to the masses through the design of this space. That's so interesting. Is the art still displayed that way today? I believe so. They stopped doing it for a while. But I think in the early 2000s, they brought it back. And I think it's still like that today. Mm, Nice. Yeah.
1: Okay. So we have to talk about the construction of it. Because that was Mm -hmm. also totally innovative. This glass humongous box that is about 230 feet long, 90 feet wide, and 46 feet tall.
0: Or for everyone outside of the U.S., Liberia, and Myanmar, 70 meters long by 29 meters wide by 14 meters high.
1: Yes, this beautiful monster of a building is elevated from the ground plane by these four concrete pillars, 26 feet or eight meters high. And those four pillars are connected by two crazy big precast concrete beams. And those support the box with cables, which means this whole thing has zero columns in the inside. This idea of opening
0: up the space and large spans without columns was something that modern architects worked hard to achieve, right? I mean, the first example that comes to mind is Mies at Crown Hall in IIT, where he suspended the roof with metal beams and eliminated the need for an interior column.
2: Yeah, he does the same thing at the Museum of Fine Arts in Houston. But the difference between those buildings and MASP is that their structure was metal. And Lena used concrete. She was using concrete in tension instead of compression, which is a little wild, don't you think?
1: <laughs> yeah. Okay, so let's talk about this site. Because this site was donated from a private citizen to the city of Sao Paulo with the condition that no building would ever get built that blocked the view of the city from the trianon park gotta love those restrictive covenants Yep, Lena's genius solution was to create two parts, one that was embedded in vegetation and gardens and the other that was raised to allow for that continuous view. This view of the city and the park connects both spaces, creating this exterior versus interior ping pong that she likes to play with, you know?
2: Yes, yes, and yes. Are you noticing a theme here between her house and this building? Heck yeah. It's
1: all about duality with Lena and how two things meet. I think with her, site context must be like critical, super important.
2: Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah, I'm feeling a connection between these projects.
1: (laughs) Okay, so by raising the building to allow for the continuous views, she created a central plaza underneath the building that she called the Agora. a public hey. communal area for all. Wink, wink. Tee, hee, hee, hee. You know he, what we talk talking yeah. about? Ogre. <sighs> ah.
2: But seriously, doesn't this remind you of her theory talk? Like, architecture as a whole of spaces coming together,
1: and the cosmos of it all. <laughs> 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 oh, yeah. For sure. And... Actually, that space is still used today in all sorts of ways. Exhibitions, festivals, concerts. If you can dream it, you could do it in there. (laughs)
2: OMG, this is everything architecture should be about. I want to marry this building and have lots of babies with it. Ooh, (laughs) you and this building
0: are in tension.
1: Concrete tension. No. Talk no. about some compression. Hey, hey.
0: <laughs> <laughs> That's a joke Nerdny would have made, so you know, I had to throw it in there.
1: <laughs> I love the <this> song too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you, I mean
2: for the next 10 years after MASP was completed, Lina worked on a lot of set designs for theater and films. One of her most famous works in this realm was the Teatro Oficina, where she rethought the theater concept. Here, the stage was designed as more of a catwalk, and on the same plane, the audience would sit or stand. On either side of it, reimagining the interaction between spectator and presenter, and in a way, making the audience a part of the show. There was also kind of like scaffolds on the sides that created more levels for people to enjoy the show. But still, just the way it was designed was meant to make the audience a part of the
1: theater experience. This goes back to Lina's use of duality in design. In this example, she uses different ways to experience art, the spectator as the art, and also making art more accessible to the public by lowering art from its pedestals and putting the spectator and the art in the same field. Bellissimo.
2: Well, from the late 1970s, early 1990s, she was back at it doing a lot of everything. She worked on exhibitions, international competitions, designed churches and other museum, a city hall, traveled to Morocco and Japan. She kept it busy.
1: Oh, okay. These projects sound so cool. I am very curious to know how these churches look like. <laughs> yeah.
2: After that, Lina worked on a lot of projects in Salvador de Bahia again. In 1991, she received the Latin American Prize in the 4th Buenos Aires Architecture Bienal. And a year later, on March 20, 1992, Lena passed away from a lung embolism. She was 77 years old.
0: Mm. Oh, no. That was so sudden for me. But also, she did so much I mean, we spent two
1: episodes talking about her and her work. Yeah, she she did so much. And part of me thinks that there was still more to learn about her. She was just so good.
2: Yes, absolutely. I love the way Lena thought about and practiced architecture. Her theory about architecture participating in life and us participating as actors in space and how that translated to her buildings. I'm just in love. hmm. Yeah, I do love that. And I completely agree with
0: her. I think we should always be considering how people will use a space, but also leaving space for them to,
2: quote unquote, design the space through their actions. Right. In recent times, Lena has been the subject of a lot of expositions in a lot of museums. Countless articles have been written about her work. So many YouTube videos. Actually, Mm -hmm. I encourage you all to do a deep dive, because even though this was probably the most thorough episodes i have ever done it was like five percent of everything there is to talk about and learn about lena bobardi she even has a
1: google doodle yeah i do remember when i saw that and i just remember thinking yeah let these non-architects know (laughs) (laughs) about some lena (laughs) um I think you did a great job trying to condense this episode or episodes as much as you could, because, I mean, this is our first two-parter to talk about the life of Lena Babardi. Thank you. Yes, you did a great job, Griffin.
2: <laughs> well, I want to give a shout out to the host of a podcast and YouTube show called Arc y Filosofia. It's a show about architecture theory hosted by three dudes, Two of them are professors. They have an episode on Lina, which I found really good. And the host, Viviano, said he wanted to make that episode because he is sad and shocked that when he asks his student for their architecture icons, the only woman they ever mention is Saha Hadid. Mm. Yes, this is why we have this show.
0: I love that they're also trying to fill that void. Yes. So good job. Keep doing what you're doing. Yeah.
2: Now. It's time for a caryatid. That's
0: your cue, Lizzie. A caryatid is a stone carving of a woman used as a column or a pillar to support the structure of a Greek or Greek style building. In each episode, we present a caryatid, a woman who is working today, furthering the profession through their work, and who ties into the historical woman of our episode.
2: All right, let's do it. Drum roll, please. <laughs> Dr. Harriet Harris. Yeah. Yay. Hey. Harriet. Yeah. I hope that the listeners appreciated the samba in there. We tried. <laughs> Dr. Harriet Harris is the Dean of the School of Architecture at the Pratt Institute and advocate for equality in architecture, just like Lena was. And this is also a listener suggested Caryatid, So we want to thank Michelle Gorman for the suggestion.
1: Yeah. Well, awesome.
2: Harriet is from the UK. In 2001, she graduated first in her class in architecture school. Harriet was also a hustler. She did all sorts of jobs. She volunteered. She was the editor of her college magazine. She did competitions. Oh, good story. There was a concrete design competition and everyone was doing buildings. And Harriet was like, how is this innovation? So she and her partner, Susie Winstanley, Stanley, designed a concrete wedding dress and won. Uh, A concrete wedding dress. Whoa, that sounds so cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely innovated. She started the firm Design Heroine Architecture with her buddy Susie, where they focus on democratizing architecture. In the words of Harriet, we need an architecture for the 99%. Architecture today needs to see itself as responsible for and relevant to addressing the world's problems climate crisis, social justice, inclusivity and diversity and so on. All these problems are inherently at the heart of what architecture should be focusing on. And that's how we're reconvening the school's agenda.
1: Say it one time for the one time. Tell Harriet. (laughs) I love it.
0: (laughs) I love it. I can definitely see the connection with Lena and how she advocated for all society and how they related to architecture.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Yes. Well, unfortunately, it's time to say t- ciao. Before we sign off, we want to say obrigada to CMYK for the music, John W., our technical producer, and most of all, muito obrigada for listening. We hope you enjoyed learning about Lena and Harriet, along with our banter, and that you are inspired to find out more about them and other amazing professional ladies. Again, obrigada.
1: So, did you know that She Builds podcast is a member of the Gable Media podcast network? Now, Gable Media is a curated thought leadership for an audience dedicated to building a better world. Listen and subscribe to all the shows at gablemedia.com. That's G A B L media.com. Please let us know what you thought of our episode.
0: If you've enjoyed it, please help us spread the word. Tell your friends, your neighbors, your coworkers, your family members, your roommates, your professors, your classmates. Give us five stars on iTunes. Write us a review. This will all help us reach a wider audience and for more people to learn about these amazing ladies with us.
2: We're excited to hear from you and for you to come back and keep learning about women bosses with us. You can email us your thoughts at shebuildspodcast at gmail.com, leave us a comment on our website, shebuildspodcast.com, or follow us on Instagram and Facebook at shebuildspodcast, and on Twitter at
1: SheBuildspod. At the mais at mais. Até mais! Ciao. So, listeners, for some insider secrets, we had to do some brainstorming on this one when Norgidi proposed. This be a two parter.
0: Yeah, we definitely had to do some restructuring for the whole season to see how it would turn out. Yeah. But I think it was all good.
1: Yep.
2: Yay. Thank you, ladies. I'm so happy that you said yes to me.